everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I am a scripture teacher at a Catholic school. I've been a youth minister and I have a master's degree in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today, I'm really excited because I'm talking with someone that I've known, I want to say almost my entire life, at least (laughs) since like middle school. We went to high school together. We did youth group together. We were lifeguards together. She's been a companion on my journey for a very long time. It's Kat Galecka. Yay. Hi, Julia. (laughs) Hi, friend. This is so fun. (laughs) I mean, it's true. We've We've been through a lot together. I've known you for a long time. Oh my gosh, it's true. And I think a significant part of our life was like bonding about either bonding about Lake Koinonia as lifeguards <laughs> or bonding about Jesus. So, it's true. We were we were yeah. lifeguards together. We also um, did youth group together, went to Catholic yes. school together. And uh, you've been with me on my journey of faith for a long time. So I'm excited to have you. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Okay, so thanks for the intro. Julia might slip up and call me Kathy sometimes because my home name back in the day when we were growing up was Kathy. Then it all changed in college. But um, essentially, I'm a homegrown Catholic. And Julia, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but did you know? Do you know that my mom was Presbyterian and my dad was Catholic when they met? I think I might know the backstory of this, but please Uh, proceed. Go ahead and tell everyone. It makes me laugh because my dad, so my dad was in seminary. He wanted to be a priest like since the age of eight or something really young. And Mm -hmm. uh, somewhere along the line, I don't actually know what drew him away from the church, but probably my mom and not, you know, not knowingly. Right, right, Um, right. But uh, they, when they got married and they started having my siblings and I, they wanted to raise us in the same faith base, the same church. And my mom said, well, I don't think that God really cares how I seek him out as long as I'm seeking him out. And my dad said, well, I'm Catholic, so my God does. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny, too, because I feel like your mom became, I mean, your parents are both active. So we should say we we grew up in the same town. Our parents go to the same church. And all of both of our sets of parents are active in the parish back home, the Catholic parish. And I feel like your mom is just as active which is pretty typical of like converts. You know, I feel like people who convert to Catholicism often become even more active. So that's I feel a like good mom, point. Yeah, you know, that's really takes it seriously. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, she's just, she's serious about God, which is, you know, she's, I, so the reason I tell that story is that because it was really a marker for me in my life to understand that God was the most significant piece because um, like you said, you know, we were raised Catholic. I was a part of a Catholic tradition since, even in schooling from first grade all the way through, I went to a Jesuit college. After college, mm-hmm. I served with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps internationally. And then uh, when I came back from JVC, I had a lot of questions still about my traditional like study was in psychology and community outreach and neuroscience. But I had so many questions after my year with JVC about God mental health, and how those two things kind of come into play, like for my future, essentially, and um, ended up going to seminary at a seminary that would allow for women to study, which was Brethren um, in Ashland, Ohio, which is kind of the last place I think anybody saw me. I think my family thought I would stay international forever. 
And I really didn't know what I was, I was just trying to, I knew the two things I needed to learn about and I needed to learn about mental health and I needed to learn about God. And so I found this program that taught you how to become a clinical counselor um, through a seminary that was both, it would teach you the secular forms. So like, let's say we're talking about grief. It would teach you the secular forms of how to walk somebody through grief. And then it would also talk to you about healing and, and God or something bigger, you know, and what that journey looks like to lament grief with faith um, and healing. And so I was really attracted to both of those. Um, and so mm-hmm. I went to school for that. I stayed in Ashland for eight years. Um, and then I uh, scooted out over to Columbus for a couple of years. Uh, and I was at Ohio State there in higher education. And then now I'm back in Cleveland, Ohio, which um, Julia <laughs> will tell everyone is the Bahamas <laughs> of the Midwest. Of the Midwest. Thank you, Julia. You see, she knows. Um, I know every time I go home to Ohio, uh, Kathy tries to recruit me, which um, you're getting closer to. I mean, if it just weren't so cold, I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed. I thought um, you were going to say if it just weren't so cool. I don't know what, to, <laughs> I don't know what else to do. It is so beautiful. The sun sets. People clap at Lakewood yes. Park. They clap for nature because it's just so beautiful. So <clears throat> anyway, uh, so yeah, now I work at a small nonprofit in Garfield Heights. And again, this is a nonprofit that's rooted in the Catholic faith. And um, I personally was raised in the Catholic faith and I would consider myself a Christian um, who's mm-hmm. had a lot of varied experiences through being at a seminary and through being in Ashland where Everyone in the seminary, aside from one other um, gal who I loved, uh, practiced a different faith form. And that meant a lot to me to get to experience that alongside them. And so um, so here we are. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I love um, hearing about your journey, especially when you were in the seminary and learning about counseling. I think mm-hmm. it's so important. I know that, you know, um, everyone grieves differently, but I think a lot of people do like faith at some point comes in or at least questioning faith I think I mean you would know better than I I don't want to just like but I, I would assume that no um, for sure you know it's important to be familiar with that and see how they coincide so it's really cool that that program did that well I mean you know? I'm really open just in my own life I share with people how you know I think you know I still remember standing I don't know if you remember this and Blockbuster isn't even around anymore <laughs> but I still remember standing in Blockbuster with you as a young adult and you and I going back and forth, and really, you were evangelizing to me, but I was really struggling to accept some of the things that um, I think that I'd been raised to accept and was really working through. And as I've become um, an adult, that really does. I mean, I, I, I identify as a Christian, but man, I struggle and I take that up with God. Like it's, it's he knows that about me, I think, or mm-hmm. God knows that about me and knows that um you know, it's part of my analytical mind is to, I, I struggle to even hesitate to say the word doubt, but that is what it is, you know? Um, and we all, we all yeah. question and we all doubt regardless. So, I mean, I, I love yeah. your vulnerability to, to share that. Cause I think that's something that we can all relate to, you know, yeah. even though I've may have been evangelizing you in the blockbuster, which sounds, that sounds, you know, on brand really. Well, <laughs> I feel was, like we had it. A, kind I mean it wasn't you it wasn't aggressive it was you were concerned like you were you were very you were concerned for like my soul I think um you know it was you and and I remember later you being like man you were really tough and I was like yeah I think that that's just (laughs) I think that every that's just part of 
I think I am warm, but gosh, am I stubborn. And, and I just want to, that's part of the reason why I like this, you know, we're going to get into it here in a minute, but it's part of the reason why I really like this uh, verse that we chose to talk about today, because one of the peripheral parts of it talks about this really simple piece of Thomas being an encourager to follow God and um, the complexity mm. of his character. Because, you know, when you're young and you're learning about these characters, you're like, Thomas doubted, like right, 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 Judas right, right. betrayed, like, you know, right. you don't think about the complexity of their character. And in this one, it's like, Good well, point. wait a second. Thomas was like, well, pff, we got to yeah. go, you know, so. Well, I can't wait to get into it because at first when you pick this and we talked about it, I think when I was visiting um, over the summer, we were walking around Lake Erie and as you do watching the sunset clapping and um, (laughs) you said, and it's funny because this verse actually was one, I don't know if you remember this because you did come to visit me when I was at the convent. You're one of my few friends that like got to live that life. That was a podcast for another time. But um, (laughs) like that was, this was my verse kind of that year. And I think people laughed when I picked it, but I was, yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, And so when you told me uh, this summer, like, this is the verse I want to do. I was like, really? So we're going to do this verse, guys, and it is going to be kind of comical, but we promise you, we are going to analyze it just like we would analyze anything else, and it's going to be great. So, Kathy, at this point, I usually have people read the verse that they chose cool. and uh, say what translation they're using. So do you want to say what translation you're using? Absolutely. The most straightforward translation of all time. Um, I'm using the NIV. Okay. And then um, when you're ready, why don't you go ahead and... <laughs> So read the verse that you chose for us. Sure. This is from John 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. <laughs> yeah. I, know. Funny, I mean, I went, when, <laughs> no, no. when I thought about it, I was like, oh, we're really doing this. But um, let me give a little background and then we'll get into our personal connection to it and all of that. Yeah. So, yes. John eleven thirty five is the shortest. Um, even my friends who are not Catholic or Christian, they know this verse, which is really yeah. funny because they just know it as the shortest verse in the Bible and in many translations. Like I have the New American translation. So mine is three words as opposed to two words. It's and Jesus wept. But um, mm. this comes in the middle of obviously a much larger passage that you alluded to a little bit. So to give everybody context, this comes in the middle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus was a very close friend of Jesus. He was the brother of Mary and Martha from Bethany. There's lots of Marys in the Bible, but this is Mary um, from Bethany, who was um, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus was ill and Jesus, we'll get into it, but like Jesus is told that he's ill, but yet um, he waits a couple of days before he goes to visit the family. And so when he gets there, Lazarus has died and Mary and Martha encounter him and they go up to him and they say to him, if you had come a little bit sooner, Jesus, he wouldn't have died, which so they're disappointed, but they also like believe that he could have done something about it, which I think is really beautiful. Um, so this whole passage has a lot of meaning for for, I think, um, the Paschal mystery, like this sets up what Jesus mm-hmm. is about to do in terms of resurrection. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and this obviously the spoilers that he does raise Lazarus um, from the dead, but we got to get we got to get there. So you picked the shortest verse in the whole Bible, um, mm-hmm. Jesus wept. Why did Why did you pick this verse? Well, my first real introduction 
to this verse, aside from like, you know, when you're growing up and you just try to read the whole Bible, like a little bit at a time. <laughs> um, but my first real verse, actually, I had a, a roommate when I lived in Columbus and she had it. Um, I think she tattooed it on her foot um, in Hebrew. And I asked her, you know, what does your tattoo mean? She said, Jesus wept. And um, she is a really analytical person too, brilliant girl named Cindy, woman named Cindy. And um, we had this really, I, I keep saying the word beautiful, but it was a beautiful conversation about Jesus, the character of Jesus. Because what this does for me when you really think about um, the backstory. So we had talked earlier about in seminary, when you're learning about a verse, it's really important to understand what happened before and what happens after. Mm-hmm. And I think that this verse is so revealing of the character of God and Jesus and Holy Spirit, because um, the reason why Jesus said to his disciples at the point in which he learned that Lazarus was sick was let's hang here for a couple days and then we'll go mm-hmm. was because he knew he was setting himself up for being able to do something much, much larger with the death mm-hmm. of someone he loved by being able to bring them to life. And so that was always the plan. But then mm-hmm. here you have him and he comes to the space. And um, again, the complexity of the characters, because they, the, he was going back to a place where he had been recently, they, they had attempted to stone him. So the disciples were like, if you brought it into today's times, people would be like, Jesus, the last time we were there, there was a drive-by. So why would right. we bring our, our team, like our crew and mm-hmm. risk this again, you know? And he basically, you know, says what he says. He's like, I said what I said. <laughs> and and right, it's right. Thomas who says, then let's go die too. Like we need to go too, you know, which I, that mm-hmm. the complexity of the character, then to know that as he's moving towards um, Bethany, Martha and Mary were always such interesting characters to me. Martha seems pretty consistent that she's a super busy body. She seems like the oldest yeah. in the family. She's always doing stuff. Yeah. You know? People are like, Martha, come sit down and enjoy the party. You do too much, you know, Martha, but Martha's like, we got to get this done. And then Mary who like, and she's the one who would want to sit at Jesus's feet and listen to all of his readings. And so they think of him as a teacher, you know? And so I'm like, these are complex characters. And so one, one Martha runs to meet Jesus as he's coming toward um, them. And then what, at the point in which Mary gets to him, I think, right. Martha, Martha goes out to meet him and then later Mary. Right. And when, Mm -hmm. when Mary gets to him and they're talking about it, there's some other people who are there as well. And everybody's so upset that Lazarus is dead. And I don't know, I wonder if they felt betrayed by Jesus in some way, because they both said the same thing when they saw him, which was Mm -hmm. like, this could have, basically this could have been prevented, you know? Right. And Mm -hmm. they, they are, you know, he knows in his mind what he's going to do. And he doesn't say like, everybody take a deep breath. Or like, don't you see I'm risking my life right now? Or none of that. He weeps. And I think that that is, that to me is the biggest revelation of the character of God that we have biblically. That he is not a God who is in the cloud somewhere above us, knowing what's going to happen later and being like, take a deep breath because later you'll have salvation. Like he knows what is going to happen. And in that same moment in our sadness, well, be so human and so relatable and also really sad. Um, And I just thought, man, like it really left an impression on me the day that she and I sat and talked about that because that empathy is 
really hard to muster for anybody, especially I can't even imagine what it'd be like if you knew what what was going to happen, what you were about to do. Right. Yeah. So there's, you said so many, that was very well said. There are so many things that you said there. Um, My history a little bit with this passage is, um, goes back to college, I think as well. Um, I went on a retreat my junior year and I'd been struggling a lot in college just with like my self-identity and, you know, self-esteem just, I think as a lot of late teens, early Mm twenties women do. And I remember being on the retreat and this was the passage or the priest referenced this passage saying that like Jesus would weep for us too, just as he wept for his friend Lazarus, that he Mm -hmm. loved us so much that he would also grieve and he grieves for us too. And that really like struck me, I think maybe in my like angsty, (laughs) you know, late teens, early twenties, but also that humanity that you're speaking of, that empathy that you're speaking of, then knowing what relationship he had with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you know, there's a moment where I'm like, surely he wouldn't like, they, they were his best friends. Um, does he really see me in that same way? So that kind of connected with me. So then when I went to the convent, um, I kind of took that with me because I had just kind of gotten a lot of my identity, I think from that, from that passage, like knowing that he loved, like loved me that much. Um, so when we're talking about context after this, um, there's (laughs) when he does raise Lazarus from the death, Mm -hmm. uh, from the dead, there's this idea of stench that he Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days so I want to get into that too but um that was something that in the the convent became a whole different thing I was like man I was so miserable when I was there that like the the latter part of this passage kind of took life for me I was like I'm kind of like this stench like I'm like you know this giving is off like everybody can feel it I was gonna say you know? like where where do you relate most and I would not have ever thought for a second it would was was a sense I would think it was with a person and you're like, I relate with this, the stench, the stench. Yeah. No, I just was so unhappy there. And you know, he says, Lazarus come out. And I was like, yeah, I need to come out of this tomb. I need to come out of this funk. I need to come out and like, you know, give, be, be alive. And so that's then obviously I'm no longer in the convent and nothing to do with the convent. Love the ladies love. It was just not my vocation. But this this passage, it's interesting that you picked it because it goes a lot with like my vocation story and like my self-identity kind of in my 20s. Well, you know, the thing that has always stuck with me from your discernment process, I think about this like multiple times a year because I think it was just so telling. And maybe in the moment it felt really hard to say or hard to accept or admit. I don't know, you know, but I remember you saying that you're meeting with the person who was. What was the what was the nun's name who was really your uh, spiritual advisor? She was like my formator, we would call her. Okay. So, yeah. and she said to you, she said, you know, if you were to continue going, how would you feel? And you said, I would feel like I was dying. I was dying to yeah. myself. And she, right? But okay, right. And it sounds like, oh my god, but really, she said back to you, it should feel like you're starting your life. And so what clarity, like that's, I mean, with anything in discernment, what we pray for is clarity. And that was an answer to prayer too, you know, and I would have never in a thousand years guessed that you would be doing what you are doing, but I love that you do it. And I think you're so good at it. So I think it's a good thing, you know, but I I think about that all the time Oh, I know me too. When I talk about vocation, it was great advice. Like I definitely love the process. Like, I mean, to know that our vocation is supposed to give us life, like, of course, but it was, yeah. Um, I just think it's interesting that we both have a connection to this really short, weird, you know, verse 
and story, but for different reasons. Um, yeah. I'm curious because of your history with um, like the grief process and um, psychology, like Jesus' grief process is very evident here. Like he weeps, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, what does this say to you in terms of like that, that aspect of like counseling and I don't know, grief? Well, you just see so many times people are so ashamed of their emotions. Mm-hmm. And if I'm counseling a person who has a connected relationship to God or any entity, it doesn't have to be God. It's just something bigger than themselves. Um, what it does for me to be able to, if it is God, you know, if they are Christian, to be able to say, the, this is the example that was set. Like, because typically people who are Christians, they really work to live like God. You know, what would Jesus do? All those movements that had to do with like, um, or even with the Jesuits, like um, how to find God in all things. To be able to say to somebody the, the, the importance of being present, the importance of recognizing your feelings and letting your feelings be had. Um, I think that that's really important. I think that that's really what hit me is just, there's just so you just really can't get very far authentically if you're not willing to admit that you have feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, even I, I mean, gosh, I Brene Brown is a hero of mine in the world of vulnerability and empathy. Um, but I really, the reason why she pulled me in is because I can really relate to those of you who don't know Brene Brown. She's a, she studies psych- uh, sociology. She's a researcher, a storyteller. She's done so- the sociology and social work all the way to a PhD level. But as she was studying human connection, what she learned is that the real um, way to connect is through vulnerability. And she's pretty in her head analytical. And so it gave her somewhat of a breakdown to realize like, oh my gosh, you have to be vulnerable to be able to connect with people. Um, Mm -hmm. And then as she studied that, she found over and over and over again, that just significant amounts of shame uh, that people have about their feelings or about what they might how they might be perceived if they were to be vulnerable. Um, and I think that shame is the ugliest, <laughs> They're, like mm-hmm. Satan lives in shame, you know, because mm-hmm. that how she teaches this and what I think is really smart is shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Both are mm-hmm. motivating, but one is abusive. Like when you shame mm-hmm. yourself, you abuse your spirit. You do. And when you guilt yourself, usually that's motivation to not do that again. You know, like you think, man, that wasn't so good. I'll change. Um, And not to say, not to minimize how hard it is to change, but that I think, um, you know, I also, and I don't do clinical counseling by trade at all, um, but I work with teenagers. And so, boy, do I use the (laughs) the education. Um, But we talk about all the time when you're looking at a, um, a person who's having a hard moment. The tip of the iceberg is like what you can see, that behavior. And then right underneath the iceberg, maybe like five to 10 feet down where it's getting bigger under there, it's the, the, um, the feeling. But at the very, very bottom in the base is what they need. And mm-hmm. so when I can identify, sometimes it's even hard to identify the feeling, but when I can identify it, then the, maybe the, the kindest empathy response, aside from just being able to feel what they're feeling or understand the feeling that they're having to be able to say, okay, now what do you need? You know? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, crying in tears, I've always said, are like, it's the Holy spirit can move through tears, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes you just need to cry. And I, I love how you, it's interesting that you mentioned like shame and people are ashamed to like show that. Um, 
but I think sometimes it's, we just need it. Like, it's just natural to like, to, I don't know, but it's yeah. interesting that we're afraid of it, even though it's so natural. Well, it's healing. Um, one of my favorite mm-hmm. things about, well, people ask me, I remember a youth group asked me this once, what's your, what's your favorite thing about Jesus? And I said that he heals. He loves mm-hmm. to heal. I mean, that, come mm-hmm. on, like, what's better than that? And I know I still remember one of, one of the kids that um, was a part of, uh, one of the kids I get to work with, he came from a family that really did not have a lot of opportunity to express emotion. And I say it didn't have opportunity because they really didn't. I mean, it was like survival mode and a uh, home of five boys and a mom who'd passed away early. And there just wasn't a lot of opportunity for it. And then early into getting to know him, he you could tell he's very existential. He's an introvert, very existential. And he, he said to me out of nowhere, I think that you're supposed to. And I said, supposed to what? And he said, I think you're supposed to cry. I looked it up. I've been researching it. And it says when you cry, your body releases chemicals that help you mm-hmm. to heal and help you to feel better. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. <laughs> how pent up the emotion is oh, yeah. that you're looking, you're looking for the science to tell you it's okay? Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's so simple. Two words or three and Jesus wept, you know, there's, there's your permission and there's your yeah. um, ability to not have to live in an idea of shame or guilt or anything that it's as natural. And in fact, it's appropriate. It was God given and gifted. This is how I help you heal. You cry. Amen. Amen. Oh my gosh. I mean, there really is, there's so much with this. I think every time people, you know, pick a verse, it's like, oh, it's just a couple of words and whatever, but this really is. And I, but I knew it once I thought about it, I'm like, we really are going to get into it because there's so much surrounded it. You have the idea of um, him foreshadowing his death and resurrection mm-hmm. and his mm-hmm. relationships with these people and his humanness, but then also his divinity, because he's about to do something that only God can do. And so it reflects that. And I've mentioned this on the podcast and other times too, but I'm always struck by, we have a God that even though he is divine was, was completely and entirely hundred percent human. And this is one of those verses when I um, am teaching with my students and we talk about the incarnation, which is the idea that Jesus was hundred percent human, hundred percent God. Um, you know, I, t- I asked them like, what are some things that show that Jesus was like us and always, but sin. And they're like, well, Ooh. he felt pain. Like, yeah. you know, he felt pain on the cross. He, he fell when he carried the cross It you know, he, and he cried, they always bring up that, like he cried. Um, I don't know if they could pinpoint it to this passage. I mean, I'm sure there's other moments too, where, you know, on, on the cross, I'm sure he, he oh cried. And, I always think and about felt, when he was so you know, mad in the church. Right. I'm right. like, thank God that he is giving us an opportunity to understand righteous anger, or I don't think right. I would understand myself <laughs> because that's really my that's, go-to. Yeah, that's what I, a whole other thing, you know, but um, my students, they always are like, what about the angry part? Like, wasn't he sinning there? I'm like, no, he, anger isn't a sin. It's like what we do with the anger. But oh my gosh. I'm so glad you say this because if I had yeah. one pedestal, one pedestal to stand on when it came too much. I do. I like, man, we train about this stuff at work all the time. And I'm like, if there is one thing, if there is one thing that you remember from this eight hours of training about trauma-informed care, it is that emotions are neutral. They are neutral and they're all telling us something. They're given. None of them, even the hard ones are given 
and they're telling us something. So obviously there's really awful things that we do with the hard ones because those are the ones that are hardest to cope with. But man, can anger be a real gift? It's a, it can be a real gift to me. It's a real yep. motivator. And usually yep. when I look underneath it, I'm like, oh, I'm actually sad. <laughs> like, um, yeah. but anger is much easier for me to, um, I think, pinpoint. I, I know when I'm mad. Um, and I know when I want to flip a table and I also know when it's because I'm jealous or feel, um, out of control versus when something is wrong and right. I need to use my voice. And, you know, we say sometimes at work, like using your voice is not a soft skill. Okay. It starts revolutions. Using your voice is a must have. Um, and in those moments I really can discern because of my anger. So Yes. Emotions oh my gosh, are neutral. so well said. I love that. Yeah. That we're, we're talking about emotions that Jesus had emotions and you're the perfect person to talk about this passage with. It's, it's crazy that we've talked about almost a half an hour on these two or three words. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this passage? I know we probably could go on for even longer, but what, what else is important about this passage? Do you think before we go? I really think that it's important for people to understand that I think that Jesus might have had the same reaction if he were to come to Cleveland and watch mm -hmm. a sunset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you right now. <laughs> At first would, I was like, oh, that's really beautiful. I'm like, no, this no, is some kind I'm of like you're trying funny. to recruit me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forever and ever. Amen. I do not know what else I have to do. But <laughs> I, I think that Thomas would be like, Julia, Julia, Julia. <laughs> Come on now. Just kidding. But also not kidding. But uh, but no, I think that the things that were really that really stood out to me were was that how it reveals God's character and also the way that it made me really think harder about um the the complexity of some of the characters that he that when I was young growing up, I was just like, okay, that person, this word, like that person, this word, yeah. Judas, kiss, mm -hmm. betray. You know, yeah. and I'm like, no, we're so much more complicated than that. And so is Jesus. Like, you know, so yes. what about you? Amen. Anything from your journey with? Uh, well, thank you. For, I'm, I love how you're like, you're, you're directing me now. I love it. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like we could go on forever, but I, I think we hit on the things that I wanted to hit. I wanted to hit on the relationships with him and, and this family and then just my own personal journey and um, his emotion, because really it was that, the, that idea that he cared so much about these people and that he cares that much, if, you know, not more than, than us, you know, even today. And that, I don't know, that just really always, it's a lot to think about, even though it's just yeah. two or three words. Well, that's um, it for today. And I'm glad that we picked this and talked about this. And again, you were the yeah. perfect person to talk about this with. I usually do a little plug at the end. So I'm going to tell everybody to find me on Instagram and Twitter seven mile chats on Instagram, Miss Struckley, M S S T R U K E L Y one on Twitter. You don't really use social media. Everybody I've like had on this podcast doesn't really use social media. <laughs> Is I there anything you wanted to I plug? Have. No, I don't want to plug anything, but I do want to just say thank you for having me. And I think this is so exciting because I really like your podcast. So, well, thank you. I really like you. You've been <laughs> my right hand man for a very long time. Woman. I appreciate you. Yes, woman. Yes. <laughs> well, not kidding. Person. Um, great. Well, thanks. A Thank lot. you, friends. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.